0: Hi, everyone. I'm Philip Santillan, lead pastor of Clarity Church, and I want to thank you for tuning into this week's Clarity Church podcast. Usually, we start right into our message, but this week's message marked the end of our Amplify series, which is the beginning of what I believe will be one of the historical moments of our church. Between the date of this message and December 5th, 2021, we're receiving pledges for our Amplify campaign. And if you want more information about that, I want to encourage you to head over to our website at claritychurch.org forward slash amplify. That's claritychurch.org forward slash amplify. On that page, you'll be able to download our information booklet as well as submit your pledge or begin setting up online giving. Thank you in advance to all of you who choose to give generously towards the ministry of this local expression of God's church. God bless, and thank you again for tuning into this week's message. You know, we have had many significant moments in our church's history. I remember the first launch team gathering that we had. I remember our first public gathering on September 29th, 2013. I remember our first baptisms and how exciting it was to do that. The first baptisms was, I think, was in a lake at the at Bass Lake at the Cove before we got, uh, you know, the little thing. You know, I, I remember that, and I just I was so excited and so thankful for God for doing that, and, and uh, you know, within the first three months, we're like twenty-one people come to faith in Christ. All like kind of, it was just really great stuff. Like, and and uh, I remember, if you remember, in that first year, we had our first capital campaign. Some of you remember we we rose twenty-five thousand dollars in three months. I don't know if, again that's a long time ago. Some of you don't remember that. But we, we, long story short, we needed to get some equipment that we didn't have at the time, and we were borrowing it. And the people that bar- we borrowed it from are like we need it back, and we're like, oh no! And so we needed to find some stuff. Um, and we, and so over the years, there have been these defining moments in the history of our church that I, at least I look back and I go like, man, I remember that. I remember that clearly. And for the past four weeks, we've been talking about our desire for a unified effort towards amplifying the work of God that has already been accomplished in us and through us. And to be clear, this is not an insatiable pursuit for more. I just want to be clear about that because I think Uh, When we talk about moving in obedience towards God, uh, I think it's actually a natural outflow of things that are healthy, things that are healthy grow. But I just want you to know that as we talk about these things and this effort, it's not about an insatiable pursuit for more, but it's a deep passion resulting from the grace of God, which we talked about, right? The grace of God shown towards us. It's a passion resulting from receiving the grace of God, understanding the grace of God, believing in the grace of God, and because of the grace of God, a desire to see as many people as possible choose to submit all of life to Jesus as master and savior. And so temporary facilities for gathering like this have been a great context for us to do ministry over the years, but we know that in order for us to mature, and that is the goal, as a vibrant community of faith that makes disciples who makes disciples, temporary facilities are adequate, but they're not good enough. There, I said it. And that's why over the last four weeks we've been talking about this goal to raise $320,000 to move into a facility that is dedicated as a launching pad for ministry for us. And while this process will not be something that happens overnight, in fact, it's a plan that will at least take three years to raise funds, and much less Begin looking for a facility or something more permanent for us. What we do know, as we've talked about it, is this the time to start this process is now. And so today is our commitment Sunday. That's what you see this little red box here for. And uh, that'll mean at the end of our gathering, towards the end of our gathering, uh, we'll be asking you to hand in uh, commitment cards. And uh, if you haven't filled out yours already, if you never got one, uh, there's one underneath the chair for you. You can grab one, take a look at it if you need a pen. Um, Nate has got some pens. or pens. You can wave and uh, just wave him down. But I just I want you to go ahead and grab that and take a look at it and, or fill it out uh, if, if, if you already know what you're going to do. Fill it out if you already know what you're going to do. Also, if for some reason you have not had a chance to read through our uh, Amplify brochure, I want to remind you that you can access that by clicking on the Amplify graphic on our website or on the mobile app. We go to my.clarity.church. There's a lot of information there that I think can help you think through the different ways you can engage in this Amplify campaign. Because remember, at the end of the day, the heart of this campaign isn't as much $320,000. That number is not as important as the number of 100% engagement because it's going to take a unified effort of the church, I believe, to move forward. And I believe what God is actually asking us to do is that in spite of everything that we've done, this is just one way that I think God is asking us, hey, let's come together. Let's come together. Now, one of the things that I think that is important as we kind of prepare ourselves to deal with whatever reality comes out of the end of this out of four weeks and meetings and me talking since 2020 about this need to uh, move into permanent facility one of the things that i i think is really important to remember is that it's going to take commitment at the end of the day to make this a reality in fact it takes commitment to make local churches a reality now, when you, word the, when you hear the word commitment, what do you think of? Like, when you hear the word commitment, what are some things that you think of? Some things you think of? What, what do you hear? Marriages, marriages, marriages commitment, right? That's the, the ideal, right? Unfortunately, 50%, you know, so I don't know. <laughs> so, yeah, but, but right? Marriage is supposed to be commitment. You know, when I think of commitment, I think of... Uh, U.S. Airways Flight 1549. Anyone know about U.S. Airways Flight 1549? They made a movie out of it. Uh, For those that might not be familiar with that, uh, it's actually an article on Wikipedia, and I'll I'll read it to you. And and you you might know what it is once I start reading it. On this article, it says, on January 15, 2009... U.S. Airways Flight 1549 in Airbus A320 on flight from New York City's LaGuardia Airport to Charlotte, North Carolina, struck a flock of Canadian geese shortly after takeoff. Which, by the way, can anyone think of one positive reason about, you know, think of one positive thing about Canadian geese? They're absolutely good for nothing. But anyways, that's besides the point. Um, This caused the plane to lose its power uh, and it caused it to lose all engine power. And unable to reach an airport for, some emergency, uh, for an emergency landing due to their low altitude, uh, pilots Sully, Sullenberg, and Jeffrey Skiles glided the plane to a ditching in the Hudson. Ditching is what they call when you land the plane, not on an air strip. <laughs> a ditching in the Hudson River off Midtown Manhattan. And all 155 people on board were rescued. All of them were rescued by nearby boats with only a few serious injuries. This water landing had a powerless jetliner with no deaths, and it became known as the miracle on the Hudson. And a National Transportation Safety Board official described it as the most successful ditching in aviation history right? And so, I mean, everyone familiar with this, right, this, this story now, right? And so while the landing itself was a feat of great courage, I mean, it, it was a feat of great courage, once the evacuation began, what was even more, t- what was great about the story was this, was that Sully, Sully, Captain Sully stayed on board to make sure that everyone got out safety. Even uh, the accounts say he twice walked the length of the whole cabin, just to make sure that no one else remained. And uh, according to the report, because someone left the back door open, the plane was quickly sinking. It wasn't floating as it usually would if they had not opened the back. So it was quickly sinking, but he took twice, twice he went through to make sure that no one, no one died. He was committed to saving lives at whatever cost. At whatever sacrifice. Contrast that with the story about a ferry carrying 476 passengers in 2014 that capsized, resulting in the deaths of 304 people. Some of you might not know this, and it's nothing against Koreans, but this was a Korean ferry, South Korean ferry, sorry, Josh. But that ferry, due to the cargo shifting, uh, and there's a lot of things that happened wrong with that situation, the cargo shifted, and the boat began to tilt. And the captain, initially, when that boat began to tilt, told the passengers, hey, stay in your rooms. Stay in your rooms. We're figuring this out. We're going to take care of it. But eventually, what happened is what no one dreamed would happen. It began to continue to tilt, and then water began to fill the ferry. And when it looked like there might not be enough time and enough rescue boats to help everyone, rather than staying to get the message to evacuate out as many passengers as possible, the captain, the first and second mates decided to abandon ship, becoming the first, second, and third people to be rescued. Now, that may be something that's a negative and you might judge them about, But you wouldn't be as upset if you knew that they exited while hundreds of passengers, in fact, over 80% of the passengers, which were high school students on a field trip, stayed in their rooms waiting for instructions on what to do. And eventually, 304 people out of 476 died. Now, let's pray. And honestly, right, that's, that's a serious story. Like, this is real life. Like, I'm not trying to, I'm not, what you need to understand is, first of all, I'm not trying to, um, we are talking about manipulation <laughs> this morning. I, I'm not trying to manipulate your emotions, but I'm trying to help you understand that there is a natural reality to what happens when people live out or don't live out commitment and sacrifice. And if you're someone who hasn't figured out whether you believe everything you've heard about Jesus in the Bible, listen, what I say next may sound totally melodramatic, but I'd hope you choose not to tune me out when I say this. Whether we recognize it or not, Many people around us are spiritually dying. This means that they will one day physically die and enter into an eternity in hell. It's just something Yeah, If you don't like the way that sounds, I, I, I am sorry in that sense, but like you got to read your Bible and wrestle with the fact that Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's not comfortable, but it's true. And one day, many people around us will enter into an eternity of never-ending suffering and separation from God. And who are these people? It's that family member Who's far from God? It's your neighbor that you don't know very well because they don't look like you, talk like you, vote like you, make choices like you, stay up too late, wake up too early. It's that agnostic co worker who is bitter at the church and really hates all of your verses on your desk. It's that barista who seems to know your name even though you swear you don't go to the same coffee shop that often. It's that person you see at church gatherings. Who on the surface is pretending to play the part, but maybe deep down inside knows that they really, really haven't placed their faith in Jesus and have chosen to increasingly submit all of life to Him as Master and Savior, but are waiting to see if Jesus is real inside of the people who go to church with them. What are you saying, Phil? Someone here might not be a Christian? I don't know. I can't look into your heart. That's a real possibility. And I've been around church long enough to know that it makes a difference when the church looks like the church. Not just for people outside of the doors, but sometimes, you never know, you may be sitting next to someone who is begging God to show them that Jesus is real and God is going to do it through us when we love one another as family, when we serve one another, when we worship together, when we study God's word with fervor. When we show up, you never know. You never know. And right up until their death, many people will be waiting to hear the truth of the gospel of Jesus communicated and demonstrated in the way of Jesus, by the way. Not only just to hear the truth, because a lot of people know the truth, but to hear the truth lived out and told in the way of Jesus with clarity which, by the way, is a significant distinction that I don't have the time to preach on today, that it's possible to be right in the wrong way, okay? But that's a sermon for another day. The point is this. There are people all around us who are spiritually dying. Okay, does that make sense? And God has already established the way by which people will be introduced to the gospel of Jesus and be accepted and invited into new life in Christ. What is that way? What is that way that God has ordained? The church. The church. Look, here's the church. There's a the steeple. Look inside. There's the people. <laughs> right? The church. The church. We talked about this a few months ago when we see, uh, studied Ephesians chapter 3. And my goal isn't to rehash all the evidence in the scripture that proves that God's plan for reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus is primarily through the local church, not through charismatic evangelists or large scale evangelistic crusades. God's plan for reaching the church has been effectively to make disciples through vibrant local churches committed to being disciples that make disciples. I don't have time to go into all that. You either got to just believe me or go study it yourself. Go look at the scriptures yourself. I'm sure you'll find the same. But what I want to do today instead is I want to bring all of this up because even though God's plan is to use the local church to see more and more people find and follow Jesus, here's the thing. Not all local churches participate in seeing the mission of God being accomplished. And listen, every church, every local fellowship of people who are united by whatever reason, they, are, they have family, they go to the same church, they, they like Josh's worship leading, they think I'm a good preacher, or they really like sitting in metal chairs, or I don't know, I don't know. Whatever the reason that people gather for this local church, I like small church, whatever that reason, listen, every church, every church is faced with the opposition to not live out the mission of God, which is to be disciples that make disciples. Let me ask you a question, and you don't have to answer this, but you should ask yourself this. It's just a really good question. Do you want to be part of a church through which the mission of God is being accomplished? I didn't ask, do you want to be part of a church where the music is hot? hot. I didn't ask, do you want to be part of a church where the preaching is like on par with (laughs) the greats? I didn't ask, do you want to be a part of a church where the kids' ministry is super fun and I always have to worry about how much sugar my kids have consumed by the end of Sunday? I didn't ask, do you want to be part of a church where you can find lots of friends and do cool things and hang out? And, uh, those are all important things, but the question I want to ask is this, and I think it's the most important thing. Do you want to be part of a church that accomplished the mission of God in this world? Do you? And if the answer is yes, like if you want to be part of a church like that, go to a church like that, here's how those churches are made possible. It's made possible by people who choose to be a contributing member of the body of Christ that is the local church. That, there's no secret. There's no secret. There's no... Secret formula. Churches that reach people for Jesus are made up of people who work together (laughs) to reach people for Jesus. It's actually that simple. But it's not easy. Otherwise, churches wouldn't close their doors. Churches that were once Fruitful in ministry in the past wouldn't be surrounded by nothing but friends that they've seen for the past 40 years with no life flowing through a church. Because this requires commitment to live on mission. It requires a willingness to do whatever it takes to be a disciple and make disciples to be a disciple, to make sure that people do not die, but instead find life in Christ. This is what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Remember when we read Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 to 7? Where do we even get this example from? Well, Jesus. Philippians 2 says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. And then it goes on to say, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited and said he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant and taking on the likeness of humanity. You know, if you go to our Facebook page, you'll see this sentence in that header image, Clarity Church, uh, community of faith repurposing our rhythms so that, those disconnected from God can experience the gospel of Jesus with clarity. When I made that header, a lot of it was uh, uh, representational of what I have been excited about what it means to be a part of this church, but it's also aspirational, meaning that there is more for us, there is more for us to accomplish, but it's going to take some work. Repurpose. Repurpose. And so it's clear what the goal of repurposing rhythms is. If it isn't, let me say it this way. The goal is to be a community of faith that does whatever it takes to see people find and follow Jesus. And So how do people find and follow Jesus? Well, (laughs) science has... uh, proven that while things like genetics play an important role in the development of every person's life, like, you know, genetics, we could talk about, like, the Enneagram, all that kind of stuff, experiences are as equally, if not important. I mean, now that I say Enneagram, that really isn't genetic, right? No, you don't get that genetically. Okay, so I was wrong. We'll take that out of the podcast, because now I made myself look like an idiot. But anyways, (laughs) science tells us, see, that's what happens when I go off my notes. I didn't have that in my notes, but I thought I'd just go there. Stick with the notes, Phil. Science has proven that things like genetics play an important role in the development of every person's life, but experiences are as equally, if not more so, important for people in the formation of a person's physical, mental, and emotional health. If you want to find out where I found that, download the notes, and I've cited all the different articles. But see, here's what's, what's true about our everyday life is actually true about our spiritual life. Did you know that? In a book written to people who lead children's ministry, uh, a guy by the name of Regis Joyner writes this in his book. He said, before anyone can wrestle with abstract concepts like faith, hope, and the meaning of life, they need to know who loves them and where they belong. I have learned that before you can expect kids to believe, you usually need to give them someone who believes in them. And before you ask teenagers to go tell the world, you need to give them a safe place where they know they belong. Kids need two important nouns so they can anchor their lives to something solid. They need a person and they need a place. Ideally, the church may be made up of people, but practically the church has to assume a responsibility to establish a place where multiple people can actually meet. So a person and a place, a person and a place. Uh, It's good, good, good stuff, Reggie. Thanks for telling us what it takes to have successful kids ministry. But listen, I think these are things we all need. People disconnected from God need someone who loves them unconditionally. Because we did. People who are far from God need someone who loves them so much that they'd be willing to give up all of their rights so that through their sacrifice, some might be saved. And so people disconnected from God need someone who lives like that, who loves and follows Jesus to invest in demonstrating the realities of the gospel to them every day. We call it incarnational but they also need a place where they can see the body of Christ loving and serving one another and worshiping God together. And while temporary facilities for gathering like elementary schools have been a great context for us to do ministry over the years, we know that in order for us to mature as a vibrant community of faith that makes disciples who makes disciples, temporary facilities in our missional realities in the context that we are living life and hopefully aspiring to lead more people to Jesus, here's what we know. Temporary facilities, in fact, we've proven it to ourselves over the past eight years, they're inadequate. They are inadequate contexts for us to mature as a vibrant church. I mention this again because unless you understand and believe this, you you really— won't believe in or understand the kind of commitment it will take to accomplish God's plan to use local churches to reach people for Jesus. Oh, but Phil, but Phil, you know, what will happen if we don't reach the goal of 320,000? Like, what if, what if only we get like 220,000? Or what if we only get like 120,000? How can I commit to a future that seems so uncertain? I understand that type of thinking. I be honest with you, like, I think that too. Like, like what if... What if at the end of this, we come together and we get $100? <laughs> Listen, if, if that's you, if you've thought that in your mind, if maybe uncertainty is a roadblock that keeps you from saying, I'll go, I will participate, I will engage. Listen, I understand how, why you would feel that way. I, I really do. I really do. Because it's natural to feel that commitment requires certainty. For some people, I understand that. Like, commitment requires certainty. Like, I'm not going to go and listen. Like, I'm not going to marry that person unless I know they're going to stay with me. Right? I, I get that. Like, I, I'm just acknowledging that. I don't want you to feel like you're any less of a person because you have hesitations. But the truth is that commitment does not depend on certainty. Commitment does not depend on certainty. You don't have to live life long enough. to Take, the, take marriage. Every young couple that I stand in front of is certain of what their future will look like. But nobody... Nobody knows what life looks like 20, 30 years down the road. And when I notice that reality, I have to. You, you can get like super negative, like, oh, can anything be certain? And that, you're, that the joy of the Lord is my strength. This sounds like a really downer message. We have to look to what Jesus taught because there is joy in the Lord. And Jesus talked about being our living hope and i find great words in what jesus said to a young father i'd like to think he's young who was his son was sick i don't know if you remember this story in mark chapter 9 his father had a sick son and he came to jesus and he said jesus my son is sick can you heal him can you heal him like he asked that like can you To which Jesus said in Mark 9.23, everything is possible for the one who believes. You remember this story? And then the father says something that is very peculiar. That I think can encourage all of us when we're faced with the decision to engage in commitment in the face of uncertainty. Here's what he says. Immediately, the father of the boy cried out. I do believe. Help my unbelief. Have you ever prayed that? One biblical scholar writes regarding this passage it was that less than certain belief that was acceptable to Jesus to miraculously heal his son. And why was the man's belief, though uncertain, acceptable to the Lord? Because the man acted on what belief he did have rather than being paralyzed by his doubts. Will we see $320,000 pledged? Will we see $220,000 pledged? What if it's just 120000 I have no <laughs> idea of what will happen. The older I get, the more I understand what the Bible says when it says that we don't even know whether or not our breath is promised to us tomorrow. But let me tell you something. If that should happen, say, we, we come up with a less number than what is $320,000. We know, don't we, what God is calling us to do? Like if we were honest with ourselves as a local, church, don't we know what God is calling local churches to do? Don't we know what God wants us to do? And here's what I know about us. I know about this church. We will find a way to move forward. We will. I believe it with all my heart. Even if the path is uncertain, even if we have doubts, if we just come to Jesus and say, Lord, we believe. (laughs) Help our unbelief. Because when Jesus is who you're looking at to bring the realities of healing and to give life to those in threat of death around you, you act on the belief you do have rather than being paralyzed by the doubts you have. When you are looking at Jesus and you are relying on that guy to bring healing and to bring life, You know it's worth it. And just admit, I believe, but man, I don't have belief because I just don't know. But I'm going to go ahead and embrace belief. And we know that God is calling us to shine brighter in this city, to be a light of the gospel in this city, to put a lampstand And not in a bushel. No. We're going to what? We're going to let it shine. (laughs) We're not going to hide it under a bushel. No. We're going to let it shine. We know that God is calling us to amplify the work of the gospel by living as missionaries in the everyday rhythms of our lives. He's calling us to partner with organizations like Every Meal who do the most to help the most in need in our community. He's calling us to contribute to the work of church planting, more churches, because as long as there are people in need of Jesus, there will always be a need for more churches. He's calling us to create environments where we can make disciples of those we already have, our children, so that they can find and follow Jesus. And while we have some plans, we have some plans. The reality is we don't know exactly how the next five to ten years will work out for Clarity Church. We don't know. We don't know. But there's one thing we do know. We are called to be a people who are increasingly being transformed by the power of the gospel and to help others experience the gospel of Jesus with clarity. That we know. And until God tells us otherwise, that will be the cause. You want to know why we exist. That's why we exist. It's simple. It's not easy. But it is simple.